It was tasty. And three, two, one, we're going to begin. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Steph Curdy Show. Today, I have a special guest, Jeremy Ginsberg. Jeremy was my first creative field employer. Uh, before, <laughs> this is actually a funny story. The first time that I met Jeremy, it was actually your birthday a couple of years ago. Yeah, not too long ago. Like, almost on the date today. Almost. A couple of weeks out. Like met like January three, years th- ago? Like, three or four, yeah. Four years Something ago. Something like that. Uh, everybody, for your birthday... This is funny. This is how I knew I would like you guys. <laughs> Everybody was like drinking and making a like horror movie. Yeah, we all showed up that day, not not really knowing what we were doing. We just kind of said, let's go to our studio space that we had at the time. And we're like, let's just shoot a movie. No one else was there. At least we thought no one else was there. And there, there was like 10 or 12 of us. And I also just got the, the Ronin, like the first edition Ronin, like the 20 pound thing now that's like a handheld yeah, and we decided to make like a one take horror movie and you showed up with the GoPro and you got a lot of <laughs> like the, the <laughs> a lot of the extra stuff and we made a movie and then we hung out and like fingerboarded in the studio space and that was a real interesting night. It was just it was super interesting and here's why for me specifically. I went on a trip and brought a GoPro, right? And I made a little little uh video about it It was either for japan or for when i went to peru and that's all i had and i was i saw kyle started doing video stuff and kyle and i had played soccer together and i hit up kyle and i said yo i'm interested in this can i come do something with you guys and he invited me to that and i don't think he said it was your birthday i think he just said that you were making a video yeah it was like well, it wasn't really like it's for my birthday. It was just like, hey, here's a reason to like get together and go do a movie. I think we had some people in town, and yeah, we honestly showed up. We didn't know what we were shooting. We just wanted to. I always had this idea of doing a one take on that like creepy, creepy fright and elevator. It was creepy. It was. It, it. I mean, it was a creepy space. Uh, so what was cool about it was Alex Mahelcha was there, Kara Forn, uh, uh, who's the audio guy, Jeff Enix. Oh, he was there. Yeah. Um. And then you guys were also thinking, well, maybe or maybe not this guy Derek will show up. But I still work with all of you guys. I did work with Kara recently. I did work with Kyle. Me and Alex talk a bunch. So, like, that first time was my in to, like, photo, video. Amanda was there, obviously. That's incredible. Yeah. And so now... Four years later, we should get a specific year, but four years later, we're still both in it. I want you to catch me up briefly on what you like doing, where the field has come and gone, and then like we'll go from there. But wherever you want to go with that. Where do you like what I'm like doing currently or doing since then? What are you doing currently? Well, and. Then I want that to be like a segue into, you can lean back, go all the way back. I'll figure it out. I feel like I'm Here in set, we've got two little couches. It's probably the I coziest pillow podcast behind you. set. I want to make these things a little comfier though. So if you have any ideas. I'm pretty cozy right now. All right, good. I might like lose the shoes and really lose them. Lose them. I love it. Also, you were talking about this morning that you had a really good morning. So I also want to know about that. The rest of this podcast, we're going to stay creative. Listeners at home are going to stay creative. I'm going to ask him about his morning, 
and then we're going to go anywhere else. We have these conversations a lot, so there's nothing new to us. Do you want me to start with my morning? No. <laughs> well, do you want me to start with what I do? Yeah. All right. Well, what I do is my, my partner, Amanda, we're not officially married yet, so I'm not sure of the title. So shout out, Amanda. Shout out, Amanda. She's my everything. She's awesome. We, uh, we run a company called Love Struck Pictures together, which is a wedding photo video company, and it, it, we both do it full-time. It definitely takes more than a full-time job to get it all done. It's me, her. We have one person on payroll, another contractor who's pretty much on payroll, and then about a bank of like seven to ten other contractors to help us out. So that is our full-time endeavor. It's an all-year-round uh, job, and it's super fun. And actually, when I started working in this field back in... 2008 technically is when I shot my first wedding 2009 I took it full-time but I, I I always thought I would grow past weddings and do either movies or more commercial work and then I did that for a while and then ended up just coming back to the weddings and we can discuss that journey at mm. some other point but yeah. um, absolutely love what we do because we're with people on like the happiest day of their life you know all all no, um you're good you're good uh you know, all marriage type things aside, which is a weird thing to say. It's just a huge fa day where all these people in one room that are never going to be in the same room again at the same time. And it's just full of high energy and it's really cool. And it's very, like, I'm grateful that all these couples choose us to like capture it so that, and you know, the true value is, you know, 40 years from now when they decide to watch their wedding video and get to relive all of it. But circling back, that's what we do. We've been doing running Love Struck for, since 2016 i believe is when we started it obviously i had a journey before that that culminated in you know the love struck business as we know it today but yeah that's our that's our uh that's what we do and then that actually circled to your 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 morning question wow he's he's keeping it all all right keep going i'll, I'll, I'll keep it going because over the years mornings have become a very important i don't want to say ritual or routine but like I try to have them in a very strategic way because usually once the day gets going and like you check the first email or you just make the first work move for me, it's, I can't get out of it again until about like 8 PM. So <laughs> it's just like, if I can control what I do between when I wake up and what, um, like when I start working and I know some people like to get up and be active. Me personally, I used to do that. I used to be at the 3 AM at the gym. Never really felt good. You feel good for doing it, but it's very exhausting. It's very laborious kind of like habit to try and form. Uh, I found out what worked for me since I'm going to be usually very mental, mentally active throughout the day is to really put attention towards like what's my mental state as I'm waking up and honestly just having a very relaxed, I stop using alarms. I, uh, mm -hmm. I like waking up naturally. I don't put my phone near my bed. I really take the process and do it slowly. And this is exactly what I did this morning. Um, I really got into like, you know, just brewing my own coffee or making my own tea because there's the, the process is what it's all about. It's not necessarily the end product, but if you do the process right, you get a good end product, but it's that process for the third time that relaxes you and kind of just gives you something to kind of focus on that's like not the most significant thing. So your brain's just kind of easing its way into the day. That's what I did today. Then I go and sit on my couch and I chill with my dogs and I just <laughs> sip the coffee and talk about nothing Jimmy. for like 45 minutes. Oh, Jimmy and Joey. Uh, yeah. Dude, I I love that, and uh, you made me write down a million things in <laughs> front of me. So let's stay on the mornings. Um, I remember a couple morning trips that like 
like you, me, Alex, Kyle took to go film stuff. Oh yeah. And uh, you would talk about getting up before that and just like chilling for a second and having a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and it being like a really important start to, to your day. And that was like three years ago. Oh, I guess I've kept up with it. <laughs> yeah. But you're definitely articulating it more and like what it gives you and like, I really appreciate that. Um, so it sounds like you've, you've had good mornings. I also subscribe to the no alarm theory, but that's when I was sleeping to like eight and nine. Ha- have and you tried in bed until have like 10 sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> but now I'm doing a morning yoga at 6am and I need an alarm because I am not good at getting out of bed there. Do you go somewhere or do you I walk okay, outside? Nice place. That, that's especially this time of the year. That's a wake up going out into the, the brisk cold. Yeah, it has been. But it's like the only thing I have to do in the morning when the day is get to yoga. I don't have to participate as much as I want. Like I don't have to sweat, but I end up sweating. I just have to get there. Oh, yeah. That like was the win. Getting there and making that first steps like more than half the battle. So I'm only week and a half in so i can't really talk that's where you start yeah (laughs) three years is a long time though have you have you tried getting up at like six on a non-yoga day to see if you can do it without an alarm there's no point sure there is it's it's part of the training then no do you like waking up just get back in bed well just seeing if you can open your eyes and look at the clock oh i did it it's six cool and then you go back to sleep just to see if you can get your brain no you should should try it it sounds almost impossible (laughs) Not with that attitude. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I'll give it a try. You'd be crazy. Like, like, um, this is where a well, one. What's the point of just getting up at that, like waking up at that point? For, okay. Well, me personally, I don't like waking up to the sound of an alarm. So like if I can train, cause it's just so abrupt. It's so like. I appreciate that. So to be able to like train yourself to just, you know, wake up at a time it's just it's such a more graceful like you get to wake up have a little stretch and then you just just to be able to do that and not have like the buzzing of an alarm or the vibrating of a phone or something i'm not a master at it there's still days where i got to be somewhere that i'm like i'll set an alarm for 6 45 but i'm gonna try and get up at 6 30 yeah and turn the alarm off before it goes off so like i'll do like fail safes like that i love it i want to jump backwards go for it love struck the evolution you you kind of mentioned it you said before that you you didn't think that you would be in the wedding business or at least maybe you would transition out of it and you did and that's where i did most of my shoots with you was a lot of corporate business startup uh Mm -hmm. creative trailer filmmaking stuff oh yeah and um I just appreciate you saying that like you didn't expect that, but now you're doing weddings again and really liking it, really liking being about the day. I like it way more too than some of the creative videos because you get freedom and you get oh, to yeah. party, you get to interact and you get, you get one day to capture something and that's it. Yeah. And there's a lot of like sp- spontaneous you know shots or spontaneous moments so i know you understand that part but you're also like the business behind it you do logistics manage people 
you were talking, we were talking last week about managing creative people, how it's maybe a little different and you yourself are a creative person. So like, how do you manage all of that? How do you think about it? So the, the business has gotten to a point, you know, we're, we're very fortunate. We do, um, on average about 80 a year. That's what we've done the past two or three years. And we're going into next year for a little over 80 already in the books. So it's 80 a, weddings, 80 weddings. Good Lord. Yeah. There's some, some months where it's kind of quiet and some months where it's just, you, you just wake up at the end of the month. You just, <laughs> there's just too, too much going on every day, but it's super fun. And to answer your question, I'm heavily involved in the creative and I'm also very heavily involved in like the business. Just how do we just keep this thing going, keeping it in the float? And to go back to what you were first talking about, the transition to, you know, focusing more on weddings. When I, when I first started in the field, there, there, and it's, this still exists today. There's like this very unfortunate stigma that weddings are kind of like the tier one kind of stuff that you do. And everyone wants to do like the big feature film and which, you know, obviously a feature film that has $300 million has a lot more going for it than a wedding. Can't argue that. But what I've learned over the years, there's not really like a hierarchy of what jobs better than whatever. Um, it really comes down to your personal preference, your personal goals outside of what you want to do as a creative and um you know i i for the, when we met like you said i was doing we were doing a lot of corporate work a lot of tv commercials a lot of internal videos had fun doing all of them but um some things happened and we never stopped doing weddings amanda kind of took over that portion of the business and really like she's the one that got like the momentum behind love struck going because i kind of handed her i'm like why don't you just manage all the weddings that people come to me for and then she just took it. She obviously brought photo into everything because I was also a video person. So that helped to really get it to the next level. And uh, I eventually circled back to weddings just because I found uh, like a better level of fulfillment. I found that the people that we were working with were just great couples because at this point, they're pretty much my age. The people that, you know, were in school a little bit after me, a little bit before me. So like a lot of uh, similarities there. And then just how happy everyone was being like <laughs> you get so many thank yous you get so much um and i'm not in it for the like for that but just to know how happy they are that see like moms and grandmoms and just enjoying the photos and the videos which uh, you know that exists on the like the corporate side of the the track as well at times but you kind of have to jump through a lot of people i always compare it to office space you know <laughs> like i got three bosses telling me the same yeah, thing yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yo that's of, so true it's that's it, so true there the creative process as a whole is a very difficult one to manage because it inherently has unknowns so you, so you have to go into it fully confidently knowing there's stuff you don't know and like that this plan that you have and that thing that you want to create might not be what you're going to create. So like to be able to manage something that like you don't know all the pieces of, it's a weird task. And some projects you can kind of be like, these can get managed the same way. Other times it's got to be contextual. But on the corporate commercial side of things, there's usually a lot of people involved. So then you start to have this creative hierarchy to just like manage the project. And uh, long story short, I kind of found out that that creative hierarchy this wasn't for me. A lot of chefs in the kitchen, three bosses, same message. And then it was at that time that like Love Shark was really picking up its momentum. I think we were entering into 2018 at the time. And it was just like we had a strong year ahead of us. And I was kind of able to like slink away 
from some of the corporate stuff and help focus more on love struck. And that kind of began the transition to from that work to the wedding work. And I, I still have a, a, another company that I do corporate work under. It's just we put all of our attention towards love struck because that kind of um, it became like its own little beast. Very strong brand reputation. It was the first time in my 10 year career that I was actually able to use the word brand and have it like mean something like people actually love struck has a brand people talk about it people use our hashtags like are you love struck on their photos they interact with the brand and then um and the first time in my career we finally got it to the point where people weren't reaching out to me or reaching out to amanda they were reaching out to love struck so like it just like transcended past the person to like know this people like like i found you on google and i love everything i see and, you know, way back when it was like everyone who reached out would be like my mom told me a friend, told, which we still get a lot of word of mouth is still what we do. Um, but so many people just find us online, you know, just or like we're at a wedding that we were working and reached out. So um, just very grateful for that. But because of that and because of like that little bit of like scaling that we did, it definitely brought on like, oh, OK, I have to kind of like take the creative hat off at times and then just figure out like how to just manage all this work. Cause now it's a lot of contracts, a lot of invoices, a lot of bookkeeping, got to get a lot of insurance. We have somebody on payroll. So there's a bunch more taxes involved with that and making sure that like, what are the labor laws? I have to know that now. <laughs> I have to like abide by that. And, um, and then also just understanding how to manage creatives. Cause like artists are just wonky. You know, we're both artists. We're both weird in our head. We both see the world in very like philosophical ways. And you know, every artist has, some level of an ego because it's what allows us to kind of express you know you kind of have to be a little bit weird a little bit off to be able to like put on that vulnerable expression artist thing and you know I need to tell those people you know he, like you're shooting with us under love struck we love your work we love who you are as an artist there are some things that make love struck love struck so like you know learning how to mitigate that balance between like what do what does our brand as a company need to deliver um, versus like you as an artist, what is your take on being behind the camera and like being able to look, give them an environment to be creative as they would be, but to also set the expectations of A, B, C, and D for love struck. And by create the environment, it really comes down to uh, like our interactions via text, via email, just them feeling comfortable with us as a company to, you know, we're not going to hound on you. We're not going to review your stuff and make you feel like a lesser of an artist. We're just happy that we have work that we can give to you and you can be working as an artist because um, to kind of step out to like the big, the big, big picture, I've always wanted to have a, a company where people could be creative, they could be the artist and they could also pay their bills. You know, because I come from a background of like the gig economy, having to work. There's been times I've had like 20, 30 edits at once for various people. Very fun times, bouncing between three or four computers. But the gig economy can get really tough because it's, uh, you have to manage so many different, you know, clients' expectations. And sometimes that can create burnout in an artist. And for some reason, I've always enjoyed that. I've always enjoyed, like... The conversations and the talk not really like the sales but just like the like you have something in your head um let's find the confidence to move forward in this undefined image and bring it to life and that's a very tough process and lovestruck has done a great job at kind of putting a process in into play for managing 
like the business stuff, the contracts, the invoices, the communications, just extracting everything we need from, from our couples and then getting it to the shooters so they can feel confident about everything they need to just go be who they need to be. Because I've had a lot of <laughs> nightmare experiences that I just went like, I could never go to sleep at night if I did that to someone else. You know, showing up somewhere and location's wrong or I've got wrong information and then like the bride is calling just like oh. working for other people. When you put middlemen in the middle of this process, and whisper down the lane, you lose some stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I answered all the questions there, but it's it's been an interesting ride. And I don't know which way you want to take that. We can go business. We can go creative. Well, we can dude, go horror story. I'll tell you what. I'm um. I was just loving that because <laughs> that was a whole history lesson of basically how to start a business, how to start a video production business, how to get past certainly a point where I'm at which is like if I do want to take on more videos I do need to get help because you can only do so much as one person yeah and yeah. um so like that's just really interesting and helpful for me and it's helpful to know somebody that's been through it already and know like what the processes are that was well, I learned two things my first day of the only film class I ever took and it was for like the last two years of my high school I went to a tech school but in day one it wasn't anything film related the teacher literally said just well he said find somebody who failed at doing what they wanted to do and like listen to them it was kind of sharing the opposite of like just go and listen to people that have done it both of those examples are very valuable and he also said I don't know why this stuck with me but he said in this field if you get to the point where you're doing a lot of editing said, change your lifestyle <laughs> like <laughs> become more active, definitely change your diet because you can definitely just sit there with a bag of pretzels during an edit. And like, oh my gosh, dude, it, that's like great. Great. I mean, I've just realized that, but yeah, it was literally day advice. one wisdom. And I was like, damn, like, cause that's, what's the first thing you said? Find somebody that failed and like, go work and listen to them. What's your story? Oh, okay. Yeah. Not like, not go work for them. <laughs> like go listen to them. Like, um, it, it's a little bit of a cynical way of looking at it, but it's true. There, there's lessons in failure from other people's failure and from your own failure. And there's lessons in success, others and your own, you know, and just seek out those sources of knowledge, be it books, be it podcasts, be it vlogs, be it actual people. It was just something early on that was just kind of embedded into me. How long ago was that? 2006. How old are you now? 29. Wow. 11 what wait when's your birthday next month wait we already talked about this what day <laughs> you know, you're you're december 29th yeah yeah january 3rd okay right we talked about this last time i think we did yeah that's, that's on me we're capricorn but now it's in, now it's into the <laughs> podcast so now it'll be recorded forever boom i can never change it now <laughs> oh dude okay um you sent me a text message yesterday i just uh, i just watched it oh cool and it was the director of john wick made a little like snowball short film um on the iphone 11 yeah and what did you say you said like it just blew me away because I, I said you don't need a hundred thousand dollar camera to get a hundred thousand dollar look because just through the kids acting through certain camera movements since that camera has the ability to zoom and all that he literally put together like a really good like snowball fight scene that was dramatic and had everything that you could definitely see like in John Wick and that kind of stuff. It, just blew, it was just a film. And so that same, those same tools 
are basically in the hands of most young teenagers now. Oh yeah, everyone. Yeah, the tools that was it, that were in your hands. One thing that you always reference were like actual video tapes and editing tapes. Yeah, old school at this point. So and and like now kids do all that digitally and the iPhone comes with iMovie. Oh yeah, digitally a, a very and good in the cloud. editing software. Mm-hmm. Very intuitive. Apple makes very intuitive products. And then you have real incentives on the other side in social media and um you know, just just job opportunities now for kids to bypass college and be a very skilled uh, employee or uh, entrepreneur to do their own thing. And they've got this huge tool in their hands and Mm -hmm. they're native to it. And I just see so many positive things out of that because it's leveling an opportunity playing field. Oh, oh yeah, big time, especially in the uh, photo video field, because that's always been a very like capital intensive field to get into. Cameras are expensive, lenses are, ex- are expensive, batteries, and then you need tripod lights, audio. It's a very expensive field, and now with the phones, they're like their quality matches the camera. So, like you said, it gives it's it broadened who can get into the field. But at the same time, if you go back and listen to like early Kevin Smith or Robert Rodriguez interviews. You know, like, or, what was Kevin Smith? I don't know if it was Dogma was his first one or, or Mallrats or uh, I'm not. We can check on his discography know. later. Jamie, but, pull that up. <laughs> um, both of them talk about like how difficult it was for them to get into it. Because like for it to be someone who could afford to have a film camera and then film and then get it developed and get it put together and then mail it out. That was just a very expensive process. Whereas nowadays you see a lot of, uh, you know, industry professionals, sometimes they're talking about how difficult it can be. Um, but at the same time, it's just, there's just such a more saturated market that it's just changed the, the needs of the companies, the wants of the individuals and the tools that they can, you know, make it all with. So, so I, um, the, the reason I'm asking is because I've been doing some solo weddings and I'm, you know, I still use a DSLR that was probably a fifteen hundred dollars setup with the lens, and a smaller point and shoot camera that was, you know, another like six hundred bucks. But I wonder how much I could get paid to shoot a wedding video with an iPhone. The and put it on a little stabilizer and have an extra battery, or like you know, have a have a second phone and record into that and maybe have like a little lens to attach to it if i was to take it seriously what do i think i could get paid to do that and the reason why i ask is because i feel there's a huge opportunity in teaching this not teaching or yeah teaching training apprenticing kids that i coach soccer to or that you know are sitting in a in a history class or a math class and like aren't engaged at all and they could really just like enter into the workforce now and learn so much more and i'm just i'm just wondering like i want to make that opportunity available to people because you've kind of made that opportunity to m- available to me 
in a lot of ways. So I, so thank you for that. But I want to pass it down too. I don't know if there was a question. So <laughs> no, I, I get what you're saying. I've um, people passed it down to me. I like when I started in the field, I was just like a grip on shoots, getting maybe a hundred or one fifty for like a ten hour shoot, just like taking stuff out of the car, taking it out of the box, setting it up and then sitting and then breaking it all down, putting it back in the box, putting it back in the car for freaking years until one day um, an audio guy had to leave set early. And then over lunch, the dude was like, hey, that guy's going to teach you how to do audio for the rest of the day. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, I know that sounds simple, but we were using a P2 Panasonic camera with a boom mic and a lav mic going into breakaway cables breakaway cables going into the mixer and then out of the mixer into the camera so the camera was getting a feed of the audio and I was also sitting there mixing it and I was listening to what I was getting but I could also switch and listen to what the camera was getting the reason I'm saying all that is because I had to learn that all of those words and all of that equipment over lunch like that day I was told but I was grateful I was um it was passed down so I've always had this idea of like just pass down this field it's such a fun field to be in you know if you're no matter what you're shooting, you're just being creative, different stuff, different projects, different people. But I, I feel as though I took away from what you said was uh, like the iPhone aspect. Hold, hold on. Before we go there. Yeah. Real quick. I have the exact same story for my first shoot with you and Kyle up at Stu Leonard's and we were interviewing <laughs> Emeril Lagazzi and Kyle was shooting something else and I was the <laughs> audio guy. Oh, like and, <laughs> and so I have the audio recorder. And everybody's like rushing because they're like, like we had to right, be Emer set up like when he like by when he walked in we had to be ready to hit record yeah, yeah. and and Emerald had to go then do book signings and all this stuff so we were gonna get him for like a minute or two he walks in he's all kind of flustered he's just like <laughs> hey how's it going hey how's it going he was nice but he, we didn't <laughs> want to waste battery so I had to turn it on and and I have the recorder in my hand I have a boom audio pole in my hand I've got headphones on this is the first time I'm ever using this stuff. <laughs> And I'm like, <laughs> Emma walks in and I'm like, oh, shit, how do you turn this thing on? And I couldn't even find the on button. So I like, I had to stop you right before <laughs> but we filmed and ask you to turn it on for me. See, right now it's funny as all. I love this story because we're in like, like a 10 by 10 room. It's like you, if you whispered it to me, like you could probably hear you. Like it was <laughs> yeah. such a small quarters and I just... I don't even remember if you said something or if, like, I feel like you walked over to me. I did. And it was, yo, what's going on? I can't turn this thing on. And, like, you just said it so quietly. And <laughs> But, like, if we can extract the lesson from this, like, nobody knew we couldn't turn it on. We didn't look like we were troubleshooting a problem. True, true. So, like. Well, I mean, to me, it seemed like everybody in the room knew that I didn't know what I was doing. And to you, <laughs> like all lights like, on you. No, no. Everyone, all their eyes were on Emerald. But, no, that was, uh. I was like, it, it, it's stuff. a weird one because it's like the power switch you have to like pull and hold down. Yeah, it was it, it was in a little spot. Like, yeah. But the thing is, it was the on button. You you need yeah, to know how to turn it on. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that was just a very similar story. Audio to, seems to, to be yours. The, the way in. All right. So now the question was before about the iPhone. Oh yeah. Availability seems like you have an idea. I, there. I feel like it's kind of like a double-edged sword when trying to apply that logic to a wedding. Because a wedding has um, kind of like a lot of like already attributed thoughts and expectations to it. Mm -hmm. So it's not just finding somebody who wants their wedding captured, but then you have to go the extra step and convince them like using an iPhone is what they want. Mm -hmm. And I can sit here and say iPhones have great quality. 
and all of that. But um, it's I don't know if like the wedding market particularly is like vastly open to that now. There are weddings out there where people are just low key and maybe they're like, cool, shoot it with your wedding because like we weren't going to have it videoed anyway or shoot it on your iPhone because we weren't going to have it videoed anyway. And that's definitely a way to just get kids and get younger people to understand that like, oh, there's people out here that want things captured that potentially have you know money to exchange for it. And it's not always having to deal with a business and you don't always have to go through someone else. You can do that yourself. And I feel as though like the, the iPhones and the mobile phones are kind of like a good, you know, gateway tool, a sure. good like a, a good way to show to them that like, no, everything you need to learn, you can learn on this phone and then you can grow from here. Um, wh- whatever that growing path is, but showing them that photo, video, content creation is a very viable means of, uh, you know, surviving. Now, yeah, you can definitely make that through the phone even if it's not for someone else to showing them how you can make a creative piece of content and put it online and engage with someone somewhere or some audience because when i first started it was a uh, you know you have a, a point and shoot g7x right here in front of us it was like it was the 2000 uh <laughs> i'm gonna record some of this is that okay i give you my permission to aim the camera at me this is good stuff. I come with my hair. When I when I started, I started on one of these kind of. Once I went digital, but it was like a two thousand, like year two thousand camera had like three or five megapixels. So like when I would film stuff, and then I'd go and watch like what the professional skateboarders were doing. Like it was there was like wow, what they're using is vastly different than what I'm using. But nowadays, with these phones and the fact that they shoot four K, you can really help to like close the gap between what you currently have in your pocket and what you're being drawn to on Netflix. And um, I, I just feel that like these things are, I'm a big fan of like mobile technologies and all. I actually got retargeted with an ad uh, the other day that was like a photo editing app and I bought it. And then I showed two photos to a, a client of mine and he was in like, make me a dozen more. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> He said, like, what do I what do I have to charge you? And I literally said, like, the three that I sent you took me five minutes to make. I don't know how to bill for that. I'm like, just come on. Happy man. holidays, man. It's yeah. somebody I'm close with, you know. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. we um, we we trade a lot and stuff <laughs> like that. But the point being is like I try to embrace where this technology is and where it's going. Because that, you know, I have to this is the hard this is one of those hard lessons for me to figure out was to take the creative hat off as the creator and the person trying to sell a service and then put my shoes myself in the shoes of the people that are interested in something like this and understanding that they don't always walk around with a 5d mark IV with a canon l series 24 to 70 lens you know it's they walk around with an iphone and to them that thing spits out amazing images there's a, a level of fluency easeability we even have people reach out and tell us how much they love portrait mode and they want photos like portrait mode yeah not yeah, knowing yeah. that like that's a DSL, that's an SLR, you know, like depth of field is all they're saying. I get but the director, I have the director of marketing at Fittler Club telling me that when I have this DSLR in my hand, she's like, oh man, this portrait mode on this phone is just so good. <laughs> it is crazy. <laughs> and like the director of marketing is just basically, she's like, I, mean, I don't need your camera anymore. <laughs> In a sense, and like, you know, I've seen people make the argument that like cell phone photos aren't as good as DSLR. And I'm like, I don't know, man, because like maybe your choice of light 
isn't as good, but if you put whatever you're taking a photo of in the right light, food or a pet or a person, like these these phones take crisp, crisp images. At the end of the day, art and beauty is subjective. And so you will love the thing that which you love in a photo or a video or it's just subjective. You're going to choose. And there are levels of precision and clarity and lighting and all of those things which do make things better. But at the end of the day, you like a photo because of what's in it, not because of the granularity. Oh, yeah. And, and those things play out. Those things, that's obvious to me now. And it's a balance of both. Of course it is. It's, it's, if you could have the best quality and also have the best meaning and context built into it, like you win. Yeah. And, you know, yes, art and everything is subjective, but at the same time, part of that subjectivity is understanding that someone else, their subjective opinion might be different than yours. And then, so there's like a weird objectivity in that in certain contexts, like, let's just circle it back to like the weddings. We sell photo videos as a service. Something that we had to do over the years was really figure out like what form of this final piece of content clicks with the people we're trying to sell it to. Cause there's what we like to do, but what of we do, what, what have we like to create um, connects best with the people. So then we had to kind of say, well, maybe we shouldn't do that anymore and just do more of this. Maybe we don't need to bring all this extra equipment because we can accomplish what we need with just this. So, you know, when trying to be an artist or a creator um, in your full-time, like make that your full-time endeavor, it pays all your bills, there is like an element of uh, you have to understand that like what you want to do and what you think is like the best form of art might not be the best way to approach it Mm. because you also need to be aware that in order to sustain this, uh, this creative job, you need to have people buying your service, buying your product, and... That's sometimes a very tough thing for an artist to do because you're like, because to be an artist, you need it's it's your emotions coming out. And when on a wedding day, even especially on a wedding day, like everyone has emotions. You need to understand that like maybe the bride is here getting in her dress and the mom right there in the doorway staring at her and just having her own little like thinking back to the 20 years, 25 years of watching her little girl grow up, capturing that moment. You have to like be emotionally in tune with what's going on in this room to you know, know where to point the camera. Now, does it matter if you have a $10,000 camera? Does it matter if you have it on like a $5,000 stabilizer? Does it matter if, you ha- if it's handheld? It's like, no, just know where to point it. So there's um, all these things that I think become very t- tough to manage as a creative, trying to do creative things, because some of it is you know, what you think is the best way and all the tools you think you need, you don't actually need, and they become like self-limiting. But it is very subjective, and dude, know, that was that was an awesome point. Yeah, thank you. That really rang true to me, uh, in like a million different ways. I'm currently stuck on a wedding video, and you know I'm like playing out my emotions in my head versus like the <laughs> couples, the bride and the groom's emotions and what they might want, and mm-hmm. you know just, but that and focusing on like maybe that moment that the mom is having having like that's crazy insight it's you know 
I spend a lot of time just researching the wedding field, which is something, again, 10 years ago, I never thought I would say. Because once I kind of broke past the, it's a religious thing, it's a wedding, it's all about the couple, and you start seeing <laughs> yeah, this, this, yeah. this, this is like... I bet you were stuck on that. <laughs> <laughs> that that yeah, it was a, I was a young punk rocker, <laughs> you know what's up. <laughs> but then you see it for what it is, and you're like... This is just a gathering of people trying to have a really good time. These people are never going to be here again, like I said earlier. And the true value of this is, again, 30 years from now when they look back. And if you can watch what you're filming 30 years from now from their perspective, as weird as that sounds, like imagine them putting whatever 2069, like whatever format it'll be in the cloud. And then they see their parents. They see their kids that were little and now they're old and it really starts to shape that maybe it's not about how steady this glide on this shoe shot is. Maybe it's about like the people and the interactions and these moments that I candidly captured versus like directed into a pose. And I'm speaking from the, the video side photo it has some different attributes, but it, a lot of artists, um, here, I'll, I'll go to this. You said that you're kind of stuck on some of the emotional tetherments to uh, to your work. That's something that I'm realizing that I have to be vocal about with like our team. Because like when you have 80 weddings, I don't have the time for you to let this wedding <laughs> stick yeah, because right. like maybe it was an annoying day. It's just like you just need to snip the tie, oh. move on. I remember when I was studying like script, uh, script writing and directing, a thing that seemed to be like a, a common motif was after directors are done with a the movie, there's a bunch of directors that just fuck off for like five months before even starting the edit it just some of them were like i go mountain climbing um i remember listening to an interview with eddie vetter and he said after he's done writing an, an album with pearl jam he goes into his cabin in the woods no electricity and just throws hatchets he's like i get as far away from music as possible um it's just to kind of like you know you just gave so much of yourself so much of your emotional being and capacity to create something and then you know, when you're a director, you're like, damn, now I have to like go edit everything that we just shot. Oof. And the thing that like I learned from all of these stories was like you have to emotionally cut the the cut the cord because there might be a shot that took three days to shoot and all of these different coordinations. But once it's all together, maybe you need to trim a little fat off to get the movie down, or maybe the scene doesn't cut in. And if you're still like, but it took three days, yeah. you know, you might be like hindering the process. So like. That transcends down to our level. If there were difficulties the day of, the maitre d' wasn't the nicest or somebody had a little outburst at you and it's just like, well, like, just move on. Let's just get it done. They were still happy. They said thank you. And that that is a very tough thing because, like, as a creative, you take that shit so freaking personally. You know, like, every time when I was doing the corporate work and, like, I'd wake up to, like, an 8 a.m. email, 8.10 phone call with an 8.15 text all from the same person about, did you get the email I sent last night with the changes? It's just like, yeah, can I wake up before I, like, <laughs> message you? And then just having, like, your work, like, just what seemed to be, like, just ridiculed, and that's how you take it. They're not ridiculing it, but, like, as the creative, you're taking it that way because, you're like, I spent all this time doing it. Now I got to undo it to do it that way, which I don't, <laughs> you know, creatively agree with. And, uh, oh, my goodness. It's, um, like I said, it's a... It can be exhausting. It can be very exhausting, and, like, you don't realize how much sitting at a computer is exhausting until, mm. like, you're sitting there and editing and, like... And your legs are falling off. Legs are falling asleep, and I always end up, like, crossing one leg, so, I'm, like, my foot falls asleep, and I can't stand up because I got the pins and needles. It's just, it, po- like, bad posture becomes 
part of it, at least for me, I'm working on that. But just like spending all of that mental energy, either figuring out how to start. Like yesterday, I spent about like 40 minutes just trying to find a a music track. I found what I wanted to start and edit with, but then I was like, the only way I can make this one song work is if I have, since there's no instrumental version, I need another song that will smoothly transition into it. And, And then there's other days where I'm like, I'll put the first clip in the timeline and then it's just off to the races. You know, I've, I've done 15 minute uh, wedding videos and like an edit session and a half. I've done five minute How edits. How long is an edit session? Uh, um, like, uh, I'm like very... Dude, I, I've got I've got a million questions to ask. Yeah. You, so, so no, I'm like very... Uh, we're, we're, you got to limit your answer right now to like short. And then the <laughs> next one's got to be short, and then the next one's got to run. All right, word. My edit sessions can be maybe about like a five to six hour span, but the five to six hour span doesn't necessarily mean I'm editing. But when I edit, like, you, I, your yeah, voice goes yeah. right through my head. I'm just in the zone. And yeah. I, 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 you know, I've been editing for like since I have been in like sixth grade, technically. So, like, I've gotten very quick with just being intuitive with like what's going to cut after this, knowing where everything is in the timeline so I can just like move throughout it really quick. But. <laughs> It's hard for me to sit down for more than like 45 minutes. Was that quick? Yeah, that's good. Uh, the posture thing. The posture thing um, plays out for me in a million ways across my life. I busted my knee a couple of years ago, whatever. Mm-hmm. Sitting all day removes my ability to extend my leg all the mm-hmm. way. I play soccer on the weekends. I go out. I get injured because my legs are are physically oh, yeah. weaker. me being injured throughout the week means i do less exercise which means i eat shittier it just it just happens that way which yeah, means snowballs. i sleep more and then like i don't get like then i'm like the last thing i want to do is sit in that chair and edit yeah and i have a standing desk but you know you can only stand for so long too so I get it, and like that's an unrated like that's something that's not talked about unless you went to that <laughs> you went to school and they say on the first yeah right first day. <laughs> but you don't really know it until you know it yeah like the goal is to know that stuff before it like it bites you in the ass and like something you know like I've had like my back get a little sore and same thing if you need but like I'm talking about like there's lifelong editors who like do this well into the fifties and sixties and it's just like a, a life time of like deteriorating because you never catch on to these patterns early sure and like awareness is you know obviously like half the battle just being aware that i need to change something so i i try to get better you know stretching um a couple years back you introduced me to like the stretch where you just kind of pull your your feet in the air and kind of pull it back on like a resistance band to change my life i do that every single session (laughs) because like my biggest focus is my lower back because one thing that people also don't talk about is just the horrific posture it takes to hold a camera yeah. Like literally like a state, like no matter what it is, like just to hold it, you got to crunch your arms and hold this. Sometimes like I'll step my foot to the right just to get ready to move. And it's just the end of a wedding day. I'm like, whoo, you don't realize how much that hurt and For all sure. the wonky positions you're in. The so, other thing. So thank you. That was a good answer. We're, we're at um, 47 minutes. Already? We're going to push into, I know time flies. That's right? crazy. Uh, we're going to push in towards an hour. I want to ask this question that I think should have some some lengthy response to because I think you've changed a lot and like you you've thought about this and then we should end it with 
talking about anything else that comes up, anything that's on top of mind, set up for a next talk. Potentially. I dig it. So this this question, while you were speaking about the other like clients that you had, and I I would have, um, I think knowing you three or four years ago, you could more easily get thrown off by like a negative comment or maybe the work that the feedback that the client wasn't getting it or something else like that. And the language that you have now and like what you're saying that you're aware of, it's like you've changed a lot in, in an awesome way. Like you've become more, you've become more aware of like what a trigger is to what kind of sets you off. And I want you to talk about that and like how you think you realize that and uh, like wh- what the benefits of it have well, been. I appreciate that. It's definitely been a, a main area of focus of mine because when we first met that night in our studio, which is was just such an interesting way to meet, just to like go back to that. And I was just, cause I didn't know who was going to be there. I didn't know you. And then we made this freaking movie, but that was at a time when I was starting to reevaluate my career. Um, if it was four years ago, I was, six or seven years in at that point in doing this and had, you know, five, four or five year old clients at that point that I've been working with. And I was at a point where I started seeing a big disconnect happening between the projects I was working on and like the people they were for, you know, when I first started off, like a company would come to me and be like, make this for me. And I'd be like, here, then as time went on and I started getting in with some bigger companies and helping them develop like a video portion to their design business and things of that nature um, there started to be more people in between um, and then it even got one level deeper where there'd be other companies in between so like a company hired a company hired a company hired me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah we did this one shoot it was and then I might edit the video or you know it, it could yeah, go like that I, like I had like you know my team of people like we still do and uh, like I remember this one shoot, we were making some commercials that were going to be used as social media ads, and it was that scenario. A company hired a company who hired a company who brought me in, and this was just to do video because company A didn't do video, company B didn't do video, company B had me do all of the video for them. And at the shoot, I remember somebody asked, like, who's the director? Because we had some people from the end client there, and I... I just said, I don't know. <laughs> and I just went back on to doing my thing because I was there. The person who like, literally wrote what we were shooting, wrote the script, yes. wrote the shooting, the shots, um, had zero say in the scheduling, had zero say in the production timeline of the day, had zero say in the people. There was no like pre-rehearsing. It wasn't like that kind of grand thing. But the reason I'm telling the story is because at a certain time they FaceTimed in the dude from company A who was hired by the end client. And there was just a dude on a computer like over there. (laughs) And I don't know if you just ever had a human subbed for a computer in the room, but like you just don't realize that there's a, like that's a live person seeing me live and he's in California. And it was just weird. It didn't like, we still got everything done. I was just like, what's going on right now? Like there's everyone here has say. So like, what are we doing? And it was just, you know, and 
there were some instances on that shoot. I'm like, we don't have time to do A, B, and C anymore because their kids are coming home. We're not going to be able to use the house in 20 minutes. And they put people like, oh, but you said that we would get that shot. I'm like, this is what happens when there's too many people because then things just, communication just dissipates. So once it's, just can't do it. So um, kind of forgot the initial thing we were talking about. In in awareness to a reaction of things like like that. Yeah. And I just, uh, like, I've just appreciated that I think, I think I I think I remember maybe a time where some some person that was working with you just like wronged you and you got upset about it. Uh yeah. But maybe maybe you still do that. But I'm just saying like <laughs> the the way that you seem like you're approaching things seems like you're there. you've just it doesn't matter. Like having that thing just doesn't matter anymore. I can run with that. Yeah. Cause that's kind of like a really, I think I know what a uh, story you're talking about and no need to regurgitate just to save people <laughs> their, their sanctity or whatever. Um, you know, when we met, I was at this point where I was reevaluating my career. Cause I was, I spent nearly half a decade, if not a little bit more like working towards something. And I just was not liking it. And like, that was such a conflict to be like, I don't like these projects anymore. I'm not getting fulfillment. I feel like I have entrepreneured myself into a nine to five. And it just like, this wasn't like what I wanted this for. And so when we met, it was during all that. And during that time, it was also a point when my mindset, and this is probably the best way to verbalize it, was in a, uh, like, I need to protect everything that I've built, this clientele base, this, this, this workflow that I have. So, like, almost, like, I had, like, a little bit of a rabid dog in me if I felt something coming into, like, my circle of protection that might threaten it. Or, you know, so I was just, like, a little bit more, like, viewing it as an unstable thing that I've made. So I had to like protect this workflow, protect this, this base or whatever equipment I had or whatever bills had coming in. So it just gave me this, but that was bred over the years of just being like disconnected from the work as a result of the people I was working with. So then when I finally got the, the bravery to just back away from some of these clients that were giving me a shit ton of work every year, paying a shit ton of my bills and who I've been working with for a very long time. Uh, it was scary as all hell. So like, it's not just like, you know, I put my two weeks in and I'm going to go apply over here. It was, I can't do these projects anymore. And I don't know what I'm going to do like in return. I just know that like for me to like mentally save myself and kind of re, you know, align with where I want to go, I need to back away. And there was, uh, three main people, um, that he, but th- those three people alone were like 80% of my work. And then that's where, uh, like love struck really start. I started like comparing apples and oranges. And at this point, like Amanda and I were getting really serious. There was things that we wanted to do. So I started reevaluating and really thinking about what do I truly want? And it's like, no, I don't want to 24 hours, seven days a week, be consumed in some corporate hierarchy, creative project that I'm like seventh in line to even giving a fuck about the project. And it's going to go on to get six views. <laughs> Like I started realizing that like that dream just isn't like n- not working out for me. And like I need to, you know, reshift, realign and kind of readjust. And through that process and then being able to step away from what, what I would now deem as toxic work, toxic environments allowed me to just kind of become a little bit more honest and real with triggers. Because at the same time, I just, you know, we 
you were in Barcelona when we the, the last time. Like, what a stressful freaking trip for me. And I was like, dude, I'm in Barcelona with like my girlfriend, some of my best friends. I'm like, why am I stressed? It's because like the hand-me-down creative hierarchy of stupid creative expectations that nobody gives a fuck about except the six people in the creative hierarchy. And it all landed on my shoulders. Cause like I was the director of the guy pressing the one, two, three, four button. Like why did like, like all these official titles that just muddy it all. But, um, that was a big wake up too. I remember getting home from Barcelona being like, I had fun. So many awesome memories when we were just chilling by the, the ocean. Loved oh, the time. Yeah. But I'm like, why the fuck was I so stressed? And that was a big turn, changing point. Cause I'm like, dude, I just put nine days of my life into that. I was away from my dogs, which if you know me, that's like, toughest thing to get me to do and i'm like why did i do it dude i appreciate you sharing all that because i that's been really helpful for me i'm sure it's gonna be helpful for other people not even in a creative field but just like how do you debate in what you're doing and like potentially moving past it because it's Mm -hmm. not making you happy or not and like you gotta think about your sustainability of your life yeah um I appreciate you sharing. I kind of want to end it there and let's see if you got anything else that you want to cover. If something came up, let's talk about it. If you have anything else that you want to mention, but um, that's been awesome and helpful for me. So I'm happy with it. I appreciate that, man. This was an awesome time and it's always great chatting with you. And I, I really do like the way you're going about this podcast. Just, you know, since I know how, like I know you, I know a lot of how ways you go about conversations and getting things out of people. It's been really cool listening to your other episodes where you're just bringing somebody on that you're close with. And since I know how you go about conversations, I know that these conversations will inherently be interesting because like you have a good, you know, ability to extract things from people and kind of keep it alive. So no, I'm just very grateful for our the times that we talk times that we record our talks the times we yeah. just catch up and talk we, so yeah we've done this we've <laughs> done this before so is uh, is there any other things you wanted to toss my way i don't know dude I mean, dude i want to ask you a million questions and we're at 58 minutes and i want to bring you on for a second episode so we're just going to cap it there let's do it man everybody listening at home thank you for tuning in this has been Jerry, Jeremy Ginsberg, and uh, thank you for listening to the Steph Curdy Show. Another episode coming this Saturday. I haven't given you guys a date, so you probably don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to end it there. All right. Thanks, guys.